I used to be that person, so I get it. But my suggestion would be for someone who's who's afraid of doing that, you know, how do we get over things we're afraid of? We face it. <laughs> we can, we don't get over stuff by avoiding it. We do it. Yeah, I mean, and what's going to happen is you're going to burn out. I mean, you can go and go and go until you burn out, but then what? Or get injured. I did that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've torn rotator cuffs and a calf and <laughs> hurt my back. Just and I can boil it down to not being willing to take that time to rest and recover because I was oh, I was yeah. literally beating myself into the ground and I see that a lot and it's really sad. I just I, I don't know. I just, I want to shake some people. <laughs> like. Hey there! Welcome to Tater Talks. Two bitches talk fitness. I'm Brooke and hello, I'm Iris. On this show, we challenge the common understanding of what it means and what it takes to be fit and healthy. We explore all things fitness, nutrition, mindset, and mental health without the fluff and BS. So grab a coffee, get ready to laugh, cry, even learn a thing or two. Let's get into it. Hair everywhere. (laughs) Hi, Brooke. How are you? (laughs) I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Sunny, snowy, but it's sunny, which is a step up from the last like four weeks of misery. So I'm taking what I can get. (laughs) Hey, I feel that. It's actually, it was beautiful over the weekend and well, Saturday it wasn't, but yesterday and Sunday it was gorgeous. And today it's gray and rainy, which is pretty on point for the PNW. Yeah. The midwinter blues are are getting me, but it is what it is, and it won't be forever, so. That is true. Yeah. There's light at the end of the tunnel. This is very true. Um, so we are going to talk a little bit about recovery today because I think, Brooke, I can't speak for you, but I think underrated, people don't know how to do it. We're not good at slowing down. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> I agree. You can speak for both of us on that one because recovery not only is underrated, but it is so important. So it is important. so important if you want to see progress in the gym, if you want to your body to feel good, like there's, it's so underrated. So you're absolutely right. And it's so important. So I think it's a great topic for today. Yeah. So I think first is a deload week or a deload period. So there are a couple ways to set this up, but generally very, very simply speaking, a deload week is a period of time a week (laughs) where you lift less, you tone down the intensity, you tone down the weights, and you give your body a little bit of extra time to recover. And there are a couple of ways to do it, but Brooke, how would you structure a deload week? So a deload is a week where you're deloading your central nervous system. So you're giving your central nervous system a break because every time we go into the gym, we're putting a stress on our nervous system. And so when you do a deload week, you're training at 50 to 60% under what you usually train. You're essentially going through the motions. You're still doing your squat patterns, your bench patterns, your deadlift patterns, or whatever movement patterns that you've been working on specifically, but you're training those patterns 50% to 60% less than you would if you were training with more intensity. 
Yep. I use the calculator on my phone. I track my weights. I track what I'm lifting for what exercise. And I literally go my max weight from the last meso cycle, the last period of, of workouts that build on each other, you know, lifting with progressive overload. I take the heaviest, which is usually towards the end of the block, end of the meso cycle. And I will divide that, you know, I'll put that number in the calculator on my phone and say, Joe, whatever divided by 50%, or sometimes I'll go 60 to 70%. That's where I start. If I have a similar movement in the next block of workouts, that's where I start at that 60 to 70%. So for example, Let's say my heaviest back squat at the end of a mesocycle is 185 pounds. So I would take that, divide it by 60%, 0.6, right, which is 60%, that'd be 111. So I would, I would aim for around there for a similar type movement at the beginning of the next meso, right? And this will give us some time to, first of all, recover, which is the main topic we're talking about today, but also give ourselves some room to progress, right? There's a, there's a nice balance and progression in it's learned, it's practiced in you don't go balls to the wall every single time you work out, every single time you lift a weight. You need to leave some room for progression and also leave some room for recovery. So again, there's a few ways to do it. So there's a total deload, which is where you, you don't lift, right? You just walk, you move in some way, but you don't lift. And I like to do this like once or twice a year. I think I, I usually do it around Christmas time when we travel. This year we didn't, this past year we didn't, so I didn't do it. But, and then at some point during the summer, just because, you know, I lift hard, I use the RIR and RPE method of gauging, you know, how hard I'm lifting, how intensely I'm lifting. And it gets really tiring and I can start to tell, you know, after a while of doing it consistently that like, I just need to really like weigh tone it down, give myself a little bit extra recovery. So I just don't go to the gym. I walk, um, I stretch, and then I start easing back into it after that. Yeah. You can also do exactly what Brooke said, go through the motions of the similar patterns, just give yourself more rest that way. You can also knock a set or two off of each movement, right? If you have written workouts that you're tracking, you can, instead of doing like three sets or four sets, you can do two, one, depending. Um, but there's a few ways to set that up for yourself because, as we said at the very beginning, recovery is where it's at, baby. <laughs> you want to build some muscle, you want to tone up. That happens when you're resting. That happens when you're recovering. Um, you stimulate the muscles in the gym. And then in recovery is when they repair themselves to be bigger, um, which is what you want if you want to tone up. Not to mention for those who are shooting for numbers, not necessarily aesthetics, but, you know, lifting heavier weight, you need to give your central nervous system that time to recover. And that's not just deloads. That's rest days. That is what else? Quality sleep. Yep. Food. Food. It's your nutrition. And it's keeping your stress levels at a minimum. Mm -hmm. And that is stress is a funky thing because there's a lot of things that we don't have control over when it comes to stress, you know, just external factors. But how we handle them is going to be a big factor in how, you know, we manage our stress. Healthy coping mechanisms. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because a lot of it, you know, to be honest, is we all have external stresses in our life and we may not be able to control all of them, 
Like you, you can't control your dickhead boss that comes in and yells at you, right? You can't, but you can control how you respond. Mm -hmm. So learning, like Iris said, healthy coping mechanisms is crucial. It's super, super important. Yeah. Decompression. What are some ways that you'd like to, to decompress in a healthy way? That's a good question. I honestly like to do like deep breathing exercises while I stretch. So I will go through like my little daily flow or my little stretch routine, which I have been failing to post on social media, BTW, (laughs) but I will stretch and I will take deep breaths at night. I will make sure that I carve out time in my day. Like I don't have the time. I make the time and I'll put my son to bed at his appropriate bedtime and I will make myself a nice hot cup of tea or my protein hot cocoa, which I just throw a fair life protein shake in the microwave and voila. But I will have that and I will sit down in my bed and I will drink it and I will watch a funny show. Something that's going to make me laugh. So there are two types of stress. There's eustress and distress. Mm. There's a good stress. And the good stress are the things that are positive. Working out is one of those things where putting stress on our body in order to make a positive change in our life, whether it's muscle building, whether it's getting stronger, whether it's building bone density, all of these wonderful things, we have to put a stress response on our body. Distress is like that negative stress. Distress is when life shit hits the fan, like (laughs) the things that, you know, make us feel a little out of control, things that make us angry, that types of stress is stress that our body doesn't necessarily want to hang on to. So two types of stress, and that's why we need recovery. We need recovery, number one, so our bodies can be healthy and grow and change and adapt in a way that's healthy. And then we also need coping mechanisms to deal with distress things that are going to help calm your nervous system because either way, your nervous system is in control of the stress that you put under it. So it's really important to make sure that you're not only recovering properly for your body's sake, but also for your mind because our body doesn't know the difference between mental distress and physical eustress. And you'll see a lot of trauma survivors, um, Sometimes we get physical manifestations of our stress and when left unchecked, you know, unheeded, uncared for, it can really turn into quite a shit show. Absolutely. Yeah. Sleep is a biggie. Um, and I know, you know, it's, it's really easy for people to say, you know, get eight hours of sleep. We see that on social media all the time. That is just not possible for everybody, you know, parents with little kids. I was just talking to somebody not too long ago who has like a sleep disturbance disorder. So she's not getting eight hours of sleep a night. She can't. It's just not possible right now. So I think in this situation, meeting yourself where you are is a really big thing. Doing what you can with what you have, essentially. What do you, do you see that with clients sometimes who... (laughs) know, maybe they're a little stressed out because they keep hearing everybody say, well, you got to get eight hours of sleep or like everything is worthless. Oh, most definitely. I am that client. Like (laughs) (laughs) my little guy, he has some sleep issues. So he, his body does not produce enough melatonin to actually have him fall and stay asleep all the way through the night. So for eight years, 
I actually was only surviving off of anywhere between four and six hours of sleep. And it was affecting my recovery. It was, you know, all of these other things, but there wasn't really anything I could do about it. If my son was up at three o'clock in the morning, he was up at three o'clock in the morning. I can't just be like, all right, kid, peace. I'm going to sleep. Like, that's not how that works. So what I like to say is find ways to rest while you can, even if it's not sleep and sleep when you can. And not only focusing on just the act of sleeping, but focusing on getting as much quality sleep as you can. It is better to get six quality hours of sleep than eight hours of shitty sleep. Right. I actually started this breathing technique to help me get to sleep because every once in a while I will just toss and turn for like two hours before I can actually fall asleep. And this is just something that works for me, but I did, I found it online. <laughs> like all the best things everybody should try. It's called 478 breathing method. And I do this in bed when I'm about to fall asleep or when I'm trying to make myself be able to fall asleep. So you close your mouth, breathe in through your nose for four seconds for Mississippi. And then you hold it for six Mississippi. But what I like to do instead of like, you know how you breathe in sometimes and then you like push against your throat so you don't breathe out. Does that make sense? Yeah. Instead of doing that, you just hold it lightly with your throat open gently without pushing like that for one Mississippi, two Mississippi, up to six. And then you breathe out for eight Mississippi through your teeth, like through eight seconds. And then you do that a couple times. And I've actually found for me personally, I start yawning when I do that. And when I have yawned like three times, I'm good to go. And I fall asleep (laughs) and I stay asleep. So I don't know if that's a technique that anybody else wants to give a shot. It's called the 468 breathing method. And as far as I understand it, there's a couple different ways. It's just the idea of controlling your deep breathing can help you ease into sleeping. So that's something that I've been doing recently that has actually really helped. I'm going to have to give that a shot. Like deep breathing, making sure that, you know, before you go to bed, putting your phone away, trying to limit screen time before bed, sleeping in a room that's a little cooler. I used to be so bad at that. (laughs) Just scrolling on the bright light shining in your face. No wonder you can't fall asleep. Oh, yeah. I mean, that and room, you know, room darkening shades, making sure your bedroom isn't too hot before you go to sleep. Like there are many, many things that you can do to make sure that you're getting a nice restful sleep, making sure you're not eating like, you know, a couple hours before bed, just because if you go to bed with the full stomach, your body is going to be taking time to digest that food that can actually impede sleep a little bit. So making sure you're not eating too close to bedtime that can be really, really helpful also. So there are many different things you can do to help improve your quality of sleep. Yep. And then again, I would just say, you know, this is one of those situations a lot of people just have to give themselves grace. You know, if you're not able to get a full nights of sleep because of whatever, do what you can. Oh, absolutely. Because in a perfect world, yes, we would get high quality eight hours of sleep, but we don't live (laughs) in a perfect world. So you know, we want to make sure that we're at least prioritizing methods to help us get quality sleep versus just 
scrolling on Instagram for an hour before bed. <laughs> right. And to what Brooke was saying a few seconds ago, you know, take some time to set up your sleep routine for yourself. You know, it doesn't have to be this long drawn out thing, but like put your phone away. Stop blaring it in your face when you're laying in bed right before you fall asleep, you know. Set a time where, you know, okay, kitchen's closed because if I eat past this time, I know I'm not going to sleep well. And it's, you know, a little bit individual. But, you know, set yourself up a little routine for that. Yeah. Another thing I do is we will dim the lights all around the house like a half an hour before I start getting ready for bed. So, like, I haven't changed or anything yet, but we're still hanging out, my husband and I. And we have this one light in the corner of our main hangout area that's rather dim. So we turn off the big overhead and we turn that one on and it just starts like slowing us down and easing us into sleepy time. Yeah. Oh, that's a nice little ritual. Yeah. I've, (laughs) that's another thing, you know, it's so cool when you figure out how you work, how your brain ticks, how your body ticks. That is one of those things. Like I can absolutely feel the difference in my sleep and how I feel the next morning. Like if I wake up super tired or if I wake up ready to go when I don't do those things that I have set into my routine. Yeah, because it's, it's well, then it's a routine. It's a habit. So if you don't do it, you kind of feel a little off. Mm-hmm. So what else about recovery? Um, rest days. Yes. So I get a lot of people when they first start saying that they want to work out five to six days a week (laughs) and they want to just go hard in the gym. And I always recommend if you're not working out at all, I always recommend starting with two to three days, you know, and, and giving it all you got within those two to three days. I definitely recommend three, but some people, if they have not exercised in a really long time, they can really benefit from two just in the beginning for like that first month and then bump up to three. But the more rest you can get, the better. As Iris mentioned earlier, our muscles and our strength grow when we're resting. Susan Niebergall says this all the time. More is not better. <laughs> better is better. Yep. And If you have, like, if you're working, you think you need to work out more in order to see progress, it's not necessarily true. Not necessarily true. What is true is making sure your recovery is spot on. That way you can go harder on the days that you're in the gym, not just adding days to it where you're only going to be able to give 70% effort instead of 80 or 90. Mm -hmm. I would also tag on to that more is not better, better is better is exercise selection. You know, and we won't go into that whole rabbit trail now, but like doing 15 exercises per workout isn't necessarily the right call, you know, instead of choosing like four or five. I mean, I've a couple times I'll have a mezzo where I'll have like three main exercises per day, three back in the day that would have blown my mind. (laughs) I probably would have added a bunch of other stuff anyway, because I didn't feel like it was enough, but Just to put that bug in your head too, you know, more exercises, more workout days, not better. Better chosen exercises, better executed exercises, that's where it's at. Absolutely. And making sure when you recover, you're not just being a couch potato. Right. I think that's very important is like recovery shouldn't be you're not going to the gym, so you're going to sit on the couch all day. 
it's you're still getting some movement in whether it's walking, whether it's stretching, whether it's doing like restorative yoga, not like this power yoga where you're getting a workout in, Mm -hmm. but doing things that are going to still keep your body moving and active, but not exerting effort, like a lot of effort at least. Yeah. Active rest days, you know, going for a walk. Getting the blood pumping. Yeah. Getting the blood pumping. You should not be going balls to the wall every day. Like Brooke said, rest days do not mean couch potato. As much as we love potatoes, don't be a couch one. Exactly. (laughs) You know we love us some potatoes. (laughs) Two workouts a week, three to four workouts a week. So how many rest days a week? I get that one every once in a while. I would say a a minimum of two. Mm -hmm. A minimum of two rest days depending on your workout split. If you're doing like an upper, lower, full body, I would say four rest days because your body's going to want that. Mm -hmm. Your body is going to want that. For me personally right now, because of what I put my body through, (laughs) I actually take like three rest days per week just because my body needs it. And if I don't take those days, my body tells me. I get sluggish. I get... I honestly, like my fiance will tell me when I need to take a rest day, when I start to get grumpy, he's like, you're being a grumpster. So you need to take a rest day. I'm like, you're probably (laughs) right. And then I'm like, oh yeah, I've worked out like three days in a row. I need to have a rest day. You know, if I'm doing, you know, three pole classes in a row, I stay. (laughs) And then strength training on top of that, you know, sprinkling in my strength. So it's so important that you get a minimum of two rest days, depending on what your workout split looks like. Mm -hmm. That is something common I see too, is people saying, you know, they're stuck. They can't progress in the gym. And a common denominator for a lot of those people is they don't take the rest days. They don't allow themselves to recover. Oh yeah, absolutely. I see the same thing. Yeah. I see the same thing. Yeah. Because you feel like you have to, you know, you feel like you have to continue to go, 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 go if you want to progress when in reality... That's actually hurting your progress, mm-hmm. not helping. Yeah, we've. I mean, I think we've been conditioned to think that just in life, you know, and in the gym, the no pain, no gain crap and the, the feel the burn all the time crap and like the bouncy, bouncy, constant cardio crap. And <laughs> it's just a lot For of crap. Sure. <laughs> so what do you see in clients who don't prioritize recovery, who maybe are scared to devote that time to like not bouncing around and doing a hundred exercises, not taking rest days? That's a great question. What I, what I usually see is that, you know, when their recovery is suffering, they actually start to get sick more often. Mm. Because again, like working out is a stress on your body. And if you're not giving yourself time to recover from that stress, you're going to have a lowered immune response. And so what happens with people that are chronically stressed, and that includes exercise as well, when you're chronically stressed, that weakens your immune system. People are a little bit more prone to getting colds, things like that. So that's probably the most common thing that I see. Also, just lower energy levels. People usually have lower energy levels. They're a little more irritable. They're a little more tired. And and usually when that happens, it's like they're also not eating enough. 
So making sure that you're properly fueled for your workouts is also super important. So um, hanger is kind of at an all-time high. <laughs> and if you don't know what hanger is, it's you're angry because you're hungry. And so those are some of the things that I've noticed. I also notice sleep gets affected in a lot of people who don't prioritize rest days, recovery days. Oh, absolutely. It's almost like you're so hyped up that you can't calm down. <laughs> Your nervous system is so like jazzed that you can't actually rest. Oh, yeah. And I've noticed that as well. Like people are having a hard time falling asleep. They're having a hard time staying asleep or both. It really affects like all parts of your life. You're just in this chronic state of stress. So people often think, well, I need to move more. Mm -hmm. I need to move more because I need an quote unquote outlet. When reality, you just need a fucking break. <laughs> right. Like give yourself a fucking break. You don't need to be in the gym for two and a half plus hours. No, like Ira said, you don't need 15 exercises. You maybe need anywhere between four to five quality exercises and you need a freaking rest day. Yeah. And I, I mean, I get it. I used to be that person who was afraid of taking rest days. I used to tack on extra things like all the time. I used to be <laughs> big in a quote unquote community. I wouldn't call it that, but of exercisers who followed these programs and you were kind of almost shamed if you took the the prescribed rest days, you know, you were kind of seen as lazy or making excuses if you didn't just do something, which was usually hit, you know, yeah, it's intense cardio, whatever. So I get that fear. But once I bit that proverbial bullet and started actually taking that time, that is when I really started to see some progress that I wanted to see, right, in body recomposition and putting on muscle and losing fat and in strength, you know, those two things play hand in hand. But I used to be that person, so I get it. But my suggestion would be for someone who's who's afraid of doing that, you know, how do we get over things we're afraid of? We face it. <laughs> we can, We don't get over stuff by avoiding it. We do it. Yeah. I mean, and what's going to happen is you're going to burn out. I mean, you can go and go and go until you burn out, but then what? Or get injured. I did that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've torn rotator cuffs and a calf and <laughs> hurt my back. Just And I can boil it down to not being willing to take that time to rest and recover because I was, oh, I was yeah. literally beating myself into the ground. And I see that a lot. And it's really sad. I just, I, I don't know. I just don't want to shake some people. <laughs> like, <laughs> you need to rest. <laughs> well, that and like, there's that whole saying, no pain, no gain. And in reality, oh, no, that. <laughs> like no pain, more gain. Like yeah. you don't need to work yourself into the ground and completely burn out and think that that's badass. Like that's just ego driven. Yeah. And I think we all have like, we all have these weird ideas like, I don't know, from growing up in certain situations where like we're never doing enough. Like you can never just chill and take a break. Like you always have to be doing something and doing something and doing something and doing something. So I, I also understand it from that point. And it's hard at first to like force yourself to slow down and prioritize that rest and recovery. But it, I mean, we've been saying it this whole time. It is essential. Oh, absolutely. If you want to see progress. I mean, if you... If you don't want to see progress and you want to get, you want to run yourself into the ground, like that's, <laughs> you do you, but I wouldn't recommend it. Yeah. 
I think also people don't understand how shitty they feel until they stop doing some of these things, you know? Oh, yeah. Like, I feel that way about, you know, people who are constantly trying to hammer away at a calorie deficit when everything about their lifestyle and their body is like screaming at them to please get into maintenance, you know? They don't realize how crappy they feel until they get out, but it's scary to get out. And I don't think a lot of people understand how crappy they feel without enough rest and recovery until they actually gift themselves that. So true. But it's it's scary to do it. And again, I get it, but also. <laughs> like, you need a break. You, <laughs> you need, need a, a break. break. <laughs> and with that said, like, Iris, how about you talk a little bit, you know, because you were, you know, you're in a calorie deficit right now. And it's, how about you talk about diet breaks really quick? Diet breaks. I love diet breaks. And for those who aren't familiar, it's just a period of time where you get out of a deficit into maintenance for a little bit, for a, a set period of time. For me, I have a planned diet break for three weeks in the middle of a 16-week cut. So eight weeks of a deficit, three weeks in maintenance, which is perfect because that's my birthday week is one of them, and then eight more weeks in a deficit, and then right back up to maintenance. So Diet breaks are largely mental. It's very taxing on the mind to be in a deficit. It's taxing on the body, absolutely. It's also taxing on the mind um, because you have to be extremely aware. You know, you have to be dialed in with your food, with your recovery, with your training. Not necessarily that you're going to make amazing gains in a calorie deficit because it's, I mean, let's be honest, it's not the optimal time to be making gains of any kind. But we want to send those signals to our body to retain muscle, so we still ideally should be strength training with some intensity. But after a while, you know, you just need a break. You just need a break physically and mentally. So that is what a diet break is. You give yourself that so that you can continue towards your goals, right? Like I don't expect that I'm going to be quote-unquote done, you know, when I reach the end of this eight weeks and get into my diet break. But I'm just giving myself that little bit of extra food, extra recovery, extra, you know, mind break, body break, so that I feel refreshed. And I like to set them up because I know that at a certain point in a deficit, <laughs> I start making a lot of excuses. I start nibbling here and there. I start, you know, my consistency starts dropping off because let's face it, it's hard. So instead of getting to that point, which for me is like nine to 10 weeks, I'll give myself a break at eight weeks so that I can continue on refreshed and essentially not, you know, waste my time. <laughs> I don't want to be in a deficit forever. I don't want to drag it out. So I'm, it's another way to set myself up for success. Absolutely. And now, Iris, does your nutrition food choices change in a <laughs> diet break? I think this is important to to bring up because if you're truly doing this as a like lifestyle change, mm -hmm. do your food choices change or do you just simply increase the quantity? I simply increase the quantity. Now, I will say there are very, very, very few things that I change to just make things, I like to say, make it more bang for my buck for calories to protein ratio, you know, um, because when we're in a deficit, we want to keep our protein higher. That, along with strength training, will send the signals to our body to retain muscle, 
while we're in a deficit. So I make just little tiny changes. Like instead of full fat sour cream, I will use low fat sour cream or I will use low fat Greek yogurt instead. Because for me personally, now this is one of those things, my husband can absolutely taste the difference and he doesn't like it. So he doesn't do it. For me, for me, I like to swap sour cream with Greek yogurt because I can't tell <laughs> when I eat it in a, you know, in a big bowl of stuff. I, I just don't taste the difference. Some people can, some people can't. That works for me. Instead of eating whole eggs, nothing wrong with whole eggs, I will just swap them out for egg beaters and just do egg whites because I can make a lot of them for high protein and less calories. Really, that's it. Like, I don't, I don't overhaul everything when I go into a deficit or when I get out of a deficit. It's just a kind of a constant thing. It's just, you know, boils down to calorie management and portion control, essentially. Yeah, I mean, and that's why I ask is because I think a lot of people can sometimes get a little anxious when mm -hmm. you bring up a diet break because it's like, oh, well, I can eat whatever I want for a week. Like, no. Well, that's what we're used to, right? We do all these fads that everything's like off limits. And then when we're done, then what? <laughs> yeah, it's like a, it's a very much a yo-yo diet, fad diet mindset versus yeah. a lifestyle mindset. So I honestly do the same thing that Iris does. When you are looking to change your lifestyle, I highly recommend going with the approach all foods fit. And I, like Iris, will make little simple swaps. And I don't even really make swaps because I eat what I eat. I just eat what I eat. It's just a part of what I do. Now. I was thinking that too after I said the sour cream Greek yogurt thing. Like most of the time, I just eat the yogurt because I like it. Yeah. Same here. And the only thing I do is just increase the portion size. Like, mm -hmm. you know, if I am, you know, in a calorie deficit, I will get like a little guacamole cup from Costco and I'll have half of it. When I'm not in a calorie deficit, I'll have the whole thing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's like little things like that. Like if you're really trying to make a sustainable lifestyle change, your nutrition choices won't change. It really is the portion sizes, maybe some of the swaps that you'll make, like full fat instead of, you know, like a lower fat, things like that. Like I personally prefer lower fat things just because I am a carbivore <laughs> and I like carbs. But, you know, every once in a while, like it is nice to have a whole milk with my cereal instead of like 2%. And when I'm in a deficit, I use 2%. When I'm in a maintenance or a surplus, I use whole. Like mm -hmm. little things like that are the things that I change. I don't overhaul my whole life and neither does Iris. Like you don't look at a diet break as to, I can eat whatever the fuck I want in any quantity <laughs> right. that I want. That is like a binge. That's a cheat day mentality, mentality, which we are not super fans of. No, no. So making sure that you're aware and you understand like, why are you doing this? Are you in a calorie deficit just to lose weight? Are you looking for a sustainable lifestyle change? And once you make that distinction and you accept what you're actually trying to do, you can start putting a better foot forward. And once you know better, you can do better. So let's say that you decide, I want to change my lifestyle and you start eating more fruits, more vegetables. That's great. Add an extra banana into your day. Like <laughs> that can be your diet break, adding an extra banana or, you know, increasing the portion sizes of protein. I always recommend for people because most people don't get enough protein in a deficit or not. 
So those are the small things that I also recommend is kind of getting rid of that fad yo-yo diet mentality. Mm-hmm. And let's keep talking about um, nutrition in terms of recovery as well, because people under eat. Oh, yeah. And they romanticize under eating. <laughs> And it drives me bonkers. (laughs) If you are in a calorie deficit, you don't need to be in a severe deficit. You can be in a slight deficit and make amazing progress. Will it be slower? Yes. Will it be easier to sustain? And can you be more flexible? Absolutely. There are certain situations where like if you're doing like a six week cut where you might go into a moderate deficit And it's going to be a hard six weeks, Mm -hmm. but that isn't a lifestyle. That's like you're only doing this for six weeks and then you're, you know, you're slowly working back up to a slight deficit or to maintenance. Mm -hmm. And to tag on to what you what you said and what we talked about in a different episode, a calorie deficit is not a lifestyle. It is a tool. It is a phase. So circling back to diet breaks. Diet breaks and or maintenance. What are you going to do when you're done? When are you going to decide you're done? You know, that is a very underlooked part of the whole quote unquote deficit thing. Like I said, people romanticize under eating, which is what a calorie deficit is, right? You are you are controlling how much you under eat so that your body loses fat. But even if you're in a deficit, you don't need to go crazy low. And when you do, I can promise you, your recovery is going to go right into the shitter. <laughs> yes. You yes. still need to eat, even if you're in a deficit. That is very, very true. So not not just diving into a really steep, you know, 1,200 calories a day deficit is going to be super important. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And eventually getting into maintenance, you know, accepting that that is part of life. That is part of that is the lifestyle. (laughs) I mean, I don't even think a build is a lifestyle. Maintenance is the lifestyle that either you, you intentionally get into or your body will put you there. You know, if you keep fighting it. Very, very true. It will adapt to that stress that you're putting it under when you're in a calorie deficit. Yep. You know, a lot of people think that that's a plateau (laughs) as Jordan (laughs) Syatt would say. But no, your body will adapt to those lower calories. And I think that's important for people to understand. So one way to make that adaptation not occur as much is to take diet breaks. Mm-hmm. Spend some time in maintenance. Which again, going back to recovery, I like to say you cannot build a castle without the stone. You can't build a life. You can't build anything without food. That is the stone to build your castle. So it's very true. <laughs> just and we can talk about this another time, but like or more in depth another time. You need to get out of a deficit at some point. So accept that that's coming. Accept that maybe that time has come, and you're just fighting it. But I mean, life is so much better with more food. <laughs> your recovery exactly. is so much better with more food. <laughs> And water, guys. Water. Water. You need to stay hydrated. Yeah. Oh, I can feel it in my old lady bones when I don't have enough water. Absolutely. Oh, same. Like making sure you're drinking enough water is going to be super, super helpful for the recovery process. Mm-hmm. And for as to how much, I know people get in the weeds with this sometimes, but like look at your pee. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> 
<laughs> Look at your pee. If it's dark yellow, drink water. If it's like a pale, like baby yellow, you're fine. Yeah. When you're thirsty, drink water. Yeah. You know, you don't want to make it to where your urine is colorless. Right. That's not good because you're flushing out vitamins and minerals your body needs. So making sure it is like a very pale yellow is totally fine. Yeah. Don't overthink it, though. No. That's one of those things people get way too anal about <laughs> and it's just not necessary. Yeah. Just drink your fucking water. Yeah. <laughs> so really, guys, like the main takeaway here is when you know better, do better. And now you know better. So make sure <laughs> you recover well. Make sure you take those rest days. If you need them, your body will tell you. Mm -hmm. And I can speak from experience when I say it's not very fun when your body's yelling at you. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I think we pretty much covered all the bases for that. I think we did too. That was good. Yeah. Thanks for hanging out with us, everybody. Appreciate your time. Appreciate your kind words and reviews and messages and all of that good stuff. Yeah, thank you guys so much. We love hearing from you. It's been a blast. Yeah. Well, until next time, you guys, we look forward to talking to you again here soon. Same time, same place. Bye-bye. Okay, Thanks for listening to Tater Talks, two bitches talk fitness. If you enjoyed the show, let us know by writing a review, subscribing wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Find me, Iris, on Instagram at Iris Deadlifts. And you can find me, Brooke, on Instagram at Get You a Brooke. We'll talk to you soon. Nice. Nice. <laughs>